Section 26 of Slave Narratives A Folk History of Slavery in the United States from Interviews with Former Slaves Volume 11 North Carolina Narratives Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Cleo Milla. Slave Narratives, a folk history of slavery in the United States from interviews with former slaves. Volume 11, North Carolina Narratives, Part 1, by Various. Interview with W.L. Bost, ex-slave. 88 years, 63 Curve Street, Asheville, North Carolina. My master's name was Jonas Bost. He had a hotel in Newton, North Carolina. My mother and grandmother both belonged to the Bost family. My old massa had two large plantations, one about three miles from Newton and another four miles away. It took a lot of niggers to keep the work going on them both. The women folks had to work in the hotel and in the big house in town. Old Mrs. was a good woman. She never allowed the massa to buy or sell any slaves. There never was an overseer on the whole plantation. The oldest scholar man always looked after the niggers. We niggers lived better than the niggers on the other plantations. Lord Child, I remember when I was a little boy, about ten years, the speculators come through Newton with droves of slaves. They always stay at our place. The poor creatures nearly froze to death. They always come long on the last of December so that the niggers would be ready for sale on the first day of January. Many the time I see four or five of them chained together. They never had enough clothes on to keep a cat warm. The women never wore anything but a thin dress and a petticoat and one underwear. I've seen the ice balls hanging on to the bottom of their dresses as they run along, just like sheep in a pasta, for they are seared. They never wore any shoes, just ran along on the ground, all spewed up with ice. The speculators always rode on horses and drove the poor niggers. When they get cold, they make them run till they are warm again. The speculators stayed in the hotel and put the niggers in the quarters just like droves of hogs. All through the night I could hear them moaning and praying. I didn't know the Lord would let people leave who were so cruel. The gates were always locked and there was a guard on the outside to shoot anyone who tried to run away. Lord Miss them slaves looked just like droves of turkeys running along in front of them horses. I remember when they put them on the block to sell them. The ones between 18 and 30 always bring the most money. The auctioneer he stand off at a distance and crime off as they stand on the block. I can hear his voice as long as I live. If the one they going to sell was a young negro man, this is what he say. Now, gentlemen and fellow citizens, here is a big black back negro. 
he's stout as a mule, good for any kind of work, and he never gives any trouble. How much am I offered for him? And then the sale could commence, and the nigger would be sold to the highest bidder. If they put up a young nigger woman, the auctioneer cry out, Here's a young nigger wench. How much am I offered for her? The poor thing stand on the block, a shivering and a shaking nearly froze to death. When they sold, many of the poor mothers begged the speculators to sell them with their husbands, but the speculator only take what he want. So maybe the poor thing never see her husband again. Old Massa always see that we get plenty to eat. Of course, it was no fancy rations. Just cornbread, milk, fat meat, and lasses, but the Lord knows that was lots more than other poor niggers got. Some of them had such bad masters. As poor niggers never allowed to learn anything, all the reading they ever hear was when they was carried through the big Bible. The masses say that keep the slaves in the places. There was one nigger boy in Newton who was terrible smart. He learned to read and write. He take other colored children out in the fields and teach them about the Bible, but they forged it for the next Sunday. Then the paddy rollers, they keep close watch on the poor niggers so they have no chance to do anything or go anywhere. They just like policemen, only washer, because they never let the niggers go anywhere without a pass from his master. If you wasn't in your proper place when the paddy rollers come, they lash you till you was black and blue. The women got fifteen lashes and the men thirty. That is for just being out without a pass. If the nigger done anything worse, he was taken to the jail and put in the whipping post. There was two holes cut for the arms stretched up in the air and a block to put your feet in. Then they whip you with cowhide whip, and the clothes sure never get any of them leaks. I remember how they killed one nigger, whipping him with a bull whip. Many the poor nigger nearly killed with a bull whip, but this one died. He was a stubborn negro and didn't do as much work as his master thought he ought to. He'd been lashed a lot before. So they take him to the whipping post, and then they strip his clothes off, and then the man stand off and cut him with the whip. His back was cut all to pieces. The cuts about half inch apart. Then after they whip him, they tie him down and put salt on him. Then after he lie in the sun a while, they whip him again. But when they finished with him, he was dead. Plenty of the colored women have children by the white man. She knew better than to not do what he say. Didn't have much of that until the men from South Carolina come up here and settle and bring slaves. Then they take them very same children what have their own blood and make slaves out of them. If the missus found out, she raised revolution, but she hardly find out. The white men not going to tell, and the nigger women were always afraid to. So they just go on, hoping that thing won't be that way always. 
I remember how the driver, he was the man who did most of the whipping, used to whip some of the niggers. He would tie their hands together and then put their hands down over their knees, then take a stick and stick it between their hands and knees. Then, when he take hold of them and beat them first on one side, then on the other. Us niggers never have chance to go to Sunday school and church. The white folks feared for niggers to get any religion and education, but I reckon something inside just told us about God and that there was a better place hereafter. We would sneak off and have prayer meeting. Sometimes the paddy rollers catch us and beat us good, but that didn't keep us from trying. I remember one old song we used to sing when we meet down in the woods, back of the barn. My mother, she sing and pray to the Lord to deliver us out of slavery. She always say, she thankful, she was never sold from her children, and that our massa not so mean as some of the others. But the old song, it went something like this. Oh, mother, let's go down, let's go down, let's go down, let's go down. Oh, mother, let's go down, down in the valley to pray. As I went down in the valley to pray, studying about the good old way, who shall wear the starry crown. Good Lord, show me the way. Then the other part were just like that, except it said father instead of mother, and then sister, and then brother. Then they sing some time. We camp a while in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in the wilderness. We camp a while in the wilderness where the Lord makes me happy, and then I'm going home. I don't remember much about the war. There was no fighting down in Newton. Just as scammies or two. Most of the people get everything just ready to run when the Yankee soldiers come through the town. This was toward the last of the war. Cause the niggers knew what all the fighting was about, but they didn't dare say anything. The man who owned the slaves was too mad as it was, and if the niggers say anything, they get shot right then and there. The soldiers tell us after the war that we get food, clothes, and wages from our masses else we leave. But there was very few that ever got anything. Our old masses say he not gwine pay us anything, cause his money was no good, but he wouldn't pay us if it had been. Then the Ku Klux Klan come long. They were terrible dangers. They wear long gowns, touch the ground. They ride horses through the town at night, and if they find a negro that tries to get nervy or have a little bit for himself, they'll lash him nearly to death and gag him and leave him to do the best he can. Sometime they put sticks in the top of the tall thing they wear and then put an extra head up there with scary eyes and great big mouth. Then they stick it clear up in the air to scare the poor negroes to death. They had another thing they called the donkey devil that was just as bad. They take the skin of a donkey and get inside of it and run after the poor negroes. 
Oh, miss them was bad times. Them was bad times. I know folks think the books tell the truth, but they sure don't. Us poor Negroes had to take it all. And after the war was over, we was afraid to move. Just like tarpons or turtles after emancipation. Just stick our heads out to see how the land lay. My mommy stayed with Mars Jonah for about a year after freedom. Then old Solomon Hall made her an offer. Old man Hall was a good man, if there ever was one. He freed all of his slaves about two years before emancipation and gave each of them so much money when he died. That is, he put that in his will. But when he died, his sons and daughters never gave anything to the poor Negroes. My mother went to live on the place belonging to the nephew of Solomon Hall. All of her six children went with her. Mother, she cooked for the white folks and the children made crop. When the first year was up, us children got the first money we had in our lives. My mother certainly was happy. We lived on this place for over four years. When I was about 20 years old, I married a girl from the West Virginia, but she didn't live but just about a year. I stayed down there for a year or so, and then I met Mamie. We came here and both of us went to work. We worked at the same place. We bought this little piece of ground about 42 years ago. We gave $125 for it. We had to buy the lumpa to build the house a little at the time, but finally we got the house done. It's been a good home for us and the children. We have two daughters and one adopted son. Both of the girls are good cooks. One of them lives in New Jersey and cooks in a big hotel. She and her husband come to see us about once a year. The other one is in Philadelphia. They both have plenty. But the adopted boy, he was part white. We took him when he was small and did the best we could by him. He never did like to associate with colored people. I remember one time when he was a small child, I took him to town and the conductor made me put him in the front of the streetcar because he thought I was just caring for him and that he was a white boy. Well, we sent him to school until he finished. Then he joined the Navy. I ain't see him in several years. The last letter I got from him, he say he ain't spoke to a colored girl since he has been there. This made me mad, so I took his insurance policy and cashed it. I didn't want nothing to do with him if he denied his own color. Very few of the Negroes ever get anywhere. They never have no education. I knew one Negro who got to be a policeman in Salisbury once, and he was a good one too. When my next birthday comes in December, I will be 88 years old. That is, if the Lord lets me live, and I sure hope he does. End of section 26